Good morning, my name is Yvette Schatt and I'll be reading our scripture passage this morning. We'll be reading from two different books, Isaiah 64, verse 7 to 12, which can be found on page 1162 in your pew Bibles. And we'll also be reading from Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12, which can be found on page 1505. So if you could find both of those. Before we read, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to read it. We pray that you open our mind and our hearts to see your truth. Amen. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion is a desert. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where our fathers praised you, has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, O Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Jesus teaches about asking, looking, knocking. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Yvette. For the next three weeks, we're going to walk through uh, parts of the, the Apostles' Creed together. So this week we're talking about God the Father, next week God the Son, and, and the third week God the Holy Spirit. We often say the Apostles' Creed here, certainly uh, each time we have a baptism or uh, celebrate communion. It's uh, a teaching that has been around for quite a long time. It wasn't actually written by the apostles, but it comes from their teachings and shows up very early on in the church. Uh, and as the church began to develop ways, shorthand way of saying, what do we believe about who God is, the Apostles' Creed emerged. 
It was a way of, of helping everybody in a time, especially where not everybody could read, uh, to be able to express together verbally, this is what we believe about God, about God's very identity. God is one God in three persons, and we see that coming out here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. As we dive in today, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I want to put in front of us this one word, trust. Does anybody find trust easy? Maybe. A few people. Sometimes we can say people are too trusting. In fact, we start saying that people are gullible. Any kids pull that prank on their parents where they come home and say, gullible's written on the ceiling. And then watch their parent look up. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. It's that idea of trust. And, and we make jokes, actually, to try to pull people away on trust. And we play on their trust and, and kind of take advantage of the trust that people have in us in playful ways. I, I learned trust at least to some extent, on something called a ropes course. Anybody ever been on a ropes course? Yeah, for a couple years, uh, I worked in a youth treatment facility in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We had uh, all sorts of youth from five years old on up to 18 who uh, were under the, the responsibility and care of the state of Michigan. And they lived in this residential program that we worked in. And part of what I was trained in while I was there was how to lead these kids and others through ropes courses. And we used all sorts of outdoor and high ropes courses to, to help the kids work through some of the stuff they were going through. But before we could lead the kids, we actually had to go out on the ropes course ourselves. And I remember climbing up the the rope wall, we actually had a rock wall and you would be tied in with uh, all the climbing ropes and you'd work your way up there and climbing the rock wall was no problem. It was when we got to the top and we had to transfer those clips the first time and you realize you're letting go of the belay rope that's been holding you and you're transferring your clip into this little rope that goes across the top of the whole system. The only thing is that, that the place we were standing was a platform and, and the next place we had to get to was about 20 feet away. And we had to jump. Trusting that this little clip was going to hold us. And I tell you, even though I knew the science of it and the physics of it, and I knew that clip was sturdy and it was locked into place, and it would take me along the zip line right to the next platform, and I had nothing to worry about, I stood there shaking. I actually sat down just to get a little less height, a little closer to the ground, because it was nerve-wracking. Trusting something that you've never trusted before takes a lot of courage. That's where we get that blind leap of faith, right? We talk about we're trusting a God that, that we can't see, that none of us have touched or felt. We have this invitation to trust. And it's like standing on that platform and wondering, can I really trust, not just this line will hold me, but that, 
God will hold me. Can I trust God? Heidelberg Catechism, talking about this part of the Apostles' Creed. Question and answer 26, this is right from the middle of, of that uh, question and answer. I trust God so much. You can almost hear the enthusiasm in their voice as they're writing this. I trust God so much. Their response to I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, is one to say we are called to trust. They spell out a couple things here. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. I trust God so much that he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. It's taking a look at the brokenness in our lives. It's taking a look at the places where we feel gaps. The places where we feel those, what we sometimes call felt needs, those unmet needs in our life. And it's saying, I trust in those places of unmet need that God will provide for me. I trust in those places where I can't see the next step in front of me that God will provide everything I need. So the question before us today is, do we trust God? Just sit with that for a moment. Do we trust God? Do we trust God for our health? Do we trust God for our retirement when we're at a space where we don't earn any more income? Do we trust God to take care of our kids when they move out of the house, when they go to school for the first time? Do we trust God when we go to school for the first time and we leave our parents and the familiar things behind us? Do we trust God? Or even more than that, do we trust God when things in our life go wrong? whether it's because of things we choose or because of things other people choose to do around us and even to us, do we still trust God? The people of Israel in the Isaiah passage are at the end of their time in exile and they're hearing all sorts of promises of God that God's going to bring them back to the promised land. And God's getting ready to draw them back. But in this context, they have an uncertainty in them. They have an uncertainty of certainly their own ability to follow God and to keep God's commands. After all, they knew at this point it was their sin that had dragged them off into exile. That they had failed to trust God and instead had turned to gods of pleasure and gods of sacrifice and gods of whatever making had happened around them. There were times where they even offered some of their children on the altar to these other gods. 
They had been wiped out of the promised land. The temple had been destroyed. They had been dragged off and humiliated and brought into captivity. They were in a place far away, and it's in this place that they're wondering, can they trust God, and can they trust themselves to follow God? And that uncertainty is churning inside of them. So much so that the the part of the passage that Yvette read, which is really the middle of this section of Isaiah 64, that part starts off with, no one seeks you, God. We know it. We know you are God the creator. We know you're God almighty. But no one's seeking you. And we need you. We recognize our misery, as the catechism says. We know we're in a place. We're in no man's land separated from you and yet we need you it's in this place in this place of recognizing their need for god that there's a turn in the prophet's prayer and that turn is these words yet you lord are our father It was striking for me to read this language in the Old Testament because so often our our common kind of understanding and assumption is that the God of the Old Testament is the almighty and powerful God who judges and condemns and holds people account and is full of wrath. It's kind of the general impression. And the New Testament is the God who's the gentle Father, who forgives and is generous and gracious. And we try to divide God against God's self. And yet here we have, in the middle of the Old Testament, this appeal to God's character as a gracious Father. You, Lord, are our Father. You're our Daddy. We know we've sinned. We know we're far off. We know we're, we're lost without you. We know we are desperate for you. We need you to take us home. In this one little sentence is the whole of the prodigal son's story. It's the whole cry right there. It's that point where that prodigal, gun, prodigal son had said, Daddy, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance and let me go do what I want. And he takes that inheritance and he runs off with it to all sorts of foreign lands and and spends it on all sorts of pleasures until he has nothing left to spend and he has no more access to pleasure. And as he's taking the job of feeding pigs and he's not even allowed to eat the feed being given to the pigs. He's at that point where he's shaking and trembling and realizes he has nothing left to trust, nothing left to hold him, nothing except possibly his father's character. And he gets up and says, I'm going to go back home. On that way home, he meets his father who's been watching for him, who comes running out to him, who comes to him and embraces him. And Jesus is telling that parable to say, this is who God is. He's not vengeful. He's loving and compassionate like this generous father who wants his children to come home. And here's the prayer. 
Daddy, I know I've sinned. Please don't be angry with me beyond what I can handle. Please don't stay angry with me because if you are angry and you remember our sins forever, we're lost. We look to you, God, to look on us with mercy, with compassion, with forgiveness. We look to you to be our daddy because we're your people, we're your family. And the appeal, the appeal is not forgive us because we can figure this out. The appeal is not to forgive us because we're going to do better next time. The appeal is, the appeal is simply, God, forgive us. Bring us back to you because of who you are. You are the God who loves us. John Calvin, when he's commenting on this part of the Lord's Prayer, he quotes a verse out of Isaiah that says, even if a mother could forsake her child, God will never forsake us. Even if a mother could forsake her child, God will never forsake us. That's how deep God's parental love is for us. And the appeal here is that God is one of mercy who wants to draw us back to himself. The end of question and answer 26 points it this way. God is able to do this. God is actually able to take care of us, all of our needs, body and soul, because God is almighty. He's the one who created everything. He has the power to bring us back. And he has the desire to because he's our father. God actually desires that we would be reconciled with him. God desires that we would trust God. God desires that we would know God as trustworthy because he is our father. Just to remind us of how far God is willing to go to demonstrate that he's trustworthy. Hear these few verses. This comes out of 1 John 4. We read this uh, last week or the week before. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God did in Jesus Christ what we could not do for ourselves. He, he made that way for us to come back to him through Jesus' death on the cross and, and through his resurrection. He opened up the possibility of us knowing God as our daddy again. Knowing God as that loving father who draws us back, who wants to care for us and provide for us to meet all of our needs. Probably the more popular verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And God's reason for sending Jesus Christ was not to judge us but to release us from the judgment that was on us. To release us from our sins. To release us from the sin that has encapsulated all of humanity and all of earth and all of the universe. 
Matthew, when he talks about God's forgiveness, his favorite word is afiemi, which literally means to let go. The disciples afiemi their boats and nets when they go to follow Jesus. They let go of their boats and nets. And they turn to follow Jesus. They are released from their sins. And God is desiring that we would be released from all the brokenness that has separated us from God. God is a Father who liberates us from our sins. And the crazy part is, he did this while we're still his enemies. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were shaking, when we were empty, when we were in those places of utter despair and totally separated from God. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it together. He didn't wait for us to, to say, hey, I've sinned, I made a mistake, here, take me back. He didn't even wait for that. While we were still far off, God went out looking for us and brought us back to himself in Jesus Christ. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? This is still part of that question and answer about I believe in God the Father Almighty and, and looking at the forgiveness of sins and looking at this God who, who not only is able because he's almighty, but this God who desires to save us and draw us to himself and care for us as our Father. What difference does it make? Can we really trust him? And, and here's what the Heidelberg teaches us on that. We can be patient when things go against us because we know who God is. We know God is able to rescue us from any trouble that we are in. And we know that God is our faithful Father who desires for us to be with him and for de who desires for our life to flourish and not be caught up in sin, ours or anyone else's. So when things don't go against us, we can be patient because we're trusting God will take care of us. We can be thankful when things go well. If things go well, we don't have to say, hey, look what I did. I got it all together. And live with that fear that someday the all together might fall all apart. We can live with thanksgiving. God, you're good. Thank you that my marriage is well right now. Thank you that my kids are well right now. Thank you that you're providing for us and we have food on the table. Thank you, God, that the sun is shining. Thank you. And not only this, our future. When we think of the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation is going to separate us from his love. He already gave us his son. What? What would he hold back? God who gave us his son, Jesus Christ, is not going to hold anything back. God, our Father, will love us faithfully to the end. Paul, as he's talking with Timothy and, and kind of passing on the faith to, to Timothy and Titus and some of these first 
kind of, or second generation leaders in the church, Paul reminds them and reminds us that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful, for God cannot deny himself. It's God's very character at stake here, and, and God's not going to abandon his character, his character as our loving and gracious Father. So we can have confidence as we look toward the future that this God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who made us to be his children, the God who's reconciled us through Jesus Christ, will continue to watch over us. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the question of trust, isn't it? If we in our good hearts desire to give good things to our own kids and to uh, those we love, how much more so for God, who has the ability to care for us, doesn't God care for us? Won't he care for us? Luke, reflecting on this same interaction, phrases it this way. Because God not only gave us Jesus Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit. If you then, though you are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God desires to dwell with us. God desires to be with us. And in the person of the Holy Spirit, God is with us. I know I said we're talking about God the Father today, and we are. But as we'll discover over the next three weeks, it's impossible to talk about any one person of the Holy Spirit or of the Trinity without talking about the others. We spill into Jesus Christ. We spill into the Holy Spirit when we talk about God the Father. Because God the Father has sent both for our good. And God the Father sending the Holy Spirit, Calvin is caught up in this. He ends up spilling over and, and kind of gushes for a theologian. He's gushing here. But as our narrow hearts are incapable of comprehending such boundless favor, our reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ, Christ is not only the earnest and pledge of our adoption, but also gives us the Spirit as a witness of this adoption, that through him we may freely cry aloud, Abba, Father where once we may have stood at a distance from God because the Spirit is dwelling in us and we have been reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, we can rightly call God Abba, which is really the Aramaic way of saying Daddy, Papa, Daddy, my Papa. We, by the Spirit dwelling in us, get to know God that personally. Whenever, therefore, we are restrained by any feeling of hesitation, whenever we're standing on that platform where we're called to trust in God and there's nothing else to hold on to us except for God, whenever we're in that place of hesitation, let us remember to ask of God that he may correct our timidity, he may remove our fear, and placing under the misguidance of the Spirit enable us to pray boldly. <laughs> to pray boldly. Daddy, catch me. Daddy, catch me. <laughs> I need you to hold on to me. 
Hold on to me, God. I can't hold on to myself. Hold on to me when cancer comes. Hold on to me when my kids wander. Hold on to me when my parents are angry. Hold on to me. Hold on to me when my friends are mean. Hold on to me when work is hard and doesn't make sense. Hold on to me when the paycheck doesn't meet the needs. Hold on to me. Hold on to me when my body starts to deteriorate and I can't see or hear the way I used to. Hold on to me. Hold on to me when the world itself seems like it is in upheaval and chaos. Hold on to me, Daddy. Hold on to me. Let's pray. God, our Father, Daddy, thank you for adopting us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for wrapping us into your family and desiring that we, even us sinners, would be your children. Thank you for rescuing us and releasing, liberating us from our sins. Help us to walk in the freedom of being heirs with Jesus Christ, co-heirs in your kingdom. Fill us, Holy Spirit, that we might cry out to the Father boldly, to hold us and to rescue us when the anxieties and troubles and worries of this world threaten to undo us. We need you. We trust you. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.